Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 58. Last week, I wrapped up the history of the Arameans, first found in Genesis Chapter 25, covering the timeline of their history from when they first showed up in the Levant, Mesopotamia, and Anatolia through the Islamic era. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering the people and places found in Genesis chapters 29 through 32. So let's get started. In Genesis chapter 29, Jacob meets Rachel at a well and falls for her. Then he strikes a deal with her father, Laban, to serve him for seven years for her hand in marriage. After those several years pass, Laban tricks Jacob and instead gives him Leah, foreshadowing a strained relationship. But then, he gives Jacob Rachel in exchange for another seven years' service. Leah bears their sons Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. In chapter 29 is the first biblical mention of the place named Haran, which of course was also the name of Abraham's brother. I'll cover both, starting with the man. Haran, the man, sometimes called Aran without the H, was the son of Terah and therefore the brother of Abraham and Nahor. All of these men were believed to have descended from Noah via Shem. Of course, he was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 11. Lot was his son. And it is through Lot that he was believed to be the ancestor of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Haran also had a daughter, Milcah, through whom he was thought to be the ancestor of the Arameans. For the record, he had another daughter, Ishka, but not much is known about her. His homeland, like that of his brother and father, was not exactly certain. However, it is assumed to have been somewhere in Mesopotamia. Later in Genesis 11, specifically in verse 28, we learn that Haran died in a place known as Ur of the Chaldeans. We are also told that he died before his father Terah. So a little sidebar about his death. Genesis makes no mention of how it happened. But the Midrash, remember it? As a refresher, it's a series of Jewish texts that serve to further explain the Torah. In the Midrash, when he was 49 years old, Abram returned to his father's house and found many idols in it. Abram saw the idols, and then he made a vow before God that he would destroy them all before three days were up. And he did. Now this angered Terah, so he told Nimrod, the king of Shinar, what Abram had done. And Abram was brought before Nimrod. And then he had the audacity to scold the king. Of course, Nimrod, being the king and all, was furious with Abram. Nimrod then realized that Terah had deceived him 49 years before. That's a complicated story and not really pertinent to this one, so feel free to look it up. When Nimrod recognized the deception, he became very angry with Terah, too. Understandably, Terah is horrified and deceives Nimrod, again, to save his own skin, again. Terah blames his son Haran for the decades earlier deception. Then Abram and Haran are thrown into a fiery furnace while all the people of the land watched. Haran died immediately, but Abram walked in the midst of the flames for all to see. After three days in the furnace, 
Abram was taken out and praised. It was immediately following this that Abram, Terah, and their families fled for Canaan. I don't know about you, but that story certainly changes my opinion about Terah, among others. Back to the Old Testament. After Haran's death, his family journeyed towards Canaan. The entourage included Abraham, Terah, and Haran's son, Lot. Then Terah stopped at a place called Haran. Now why this area bore the same name as the man is never explained. And therefore, all I can do is speculate, and I'll resist the temptation. When the family arrived at Haran, Terah, Nahor, and Milcah settled there. As for Abraham and Lot, after staying in the city of Haran until Abraham was 75 years old, God instructed Abraham to leave the city and to travel to the land of Canaan, which was to the south of Haran. As a note, this is the first place in the Bible that Abraham demonstrates his obedience to and trust in God. Fast forward a couple thousand years. In Christianity, it is understood that Jesus was a descendant of Haran through David's great-grandmother Ruth. Of course, Ruth was a Moabite and therefore a descendant of Lot. Solomon's wife, Nama, mother of Rehoboam, and therefore the great-something-grandmother to all of Judah's subsequent kings, was an Ammonite and consequently descended from Haran. From one man, and that man being Haran, with only three kids, so many things he could never have dreamed of. It is thought that his name may be a derivative of the Hebrew word Har, which translates in English to the noun mountain. When you add the suffix of on, A-N, it may mean that his name means mountaineer. But Haran is also similar to the Hebrew word for parched. And the city is in a desert, too. Finally, Haran's name is similar to the Akkadian word Hanaru, meaning road. And all of these make sense, so your guess is as good as mine. The previously covered Armana, Mari, and Alalab letters from the 2nd millennium BC also contain similar words. In this case, Harai, Haru, and Haharai. But, despite all of the effort in translating these words from these texts, their specific meanings remain unknown. Back in the Old Testament, when Abraham's son Isaac was in search of a wife, Abraham sent one of his servants to the area known as Haran to choose a wife for Isaac from his extended family there. Then, Abraham's grandson Jacob escaped to Haran when fleeing the wrath of his brother. It was in Haran that he fell in love with his cousin Rachel, who he later married along with his cousin Leah, and also a few others, but I'll get to those women in a minute. The city of Haran, well, to be honest, it's really a village, is generally thought to be one and the same as a city by the same name in south-central Turkey, on the border with Syria. It's also proximate to the village of Sanlufa. Archaeological excavations began in the area in the 1950s, but these have revealed few artifacts greater than 1,000 years old. However, there were mentions of it in the Ebla tablets dated to around 2300 BC. Besides being found in Genesis, references to Haran are also in Numbers, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and even twice in the Book of the Acts. Most of these either refer to Abraham or reveal that the city was ruled by the Assyrians, 
except the book of Ezekiel, which lists it as among the trading partners of the Phoenician city of Tyre. Finally, in the Old Testament, the region where the city of Aram was located is sometimes referred to as Paddan Aram or Aram Neharaim. On to the next chapter. In Genesis chapter 30, Jacob marries Bilah, who was Rachel's servant. Bilah then bears two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Next, Jacob marries Zilpah, Leah's servant. Zilpah gives birth to two sons, Gad and Asher. Leah then has two sons, Isaacar and Zebulun, and a daughter, Dinah. Finally, Rachel gives birth to a son named Joseph. All of this time, Jacob is working for Laban and being remunerated with cattle and sheep. And what I find interesting is that it's Rachel, Jacob's first love, that bears him a son last, the youngest, Joseph. Remember that. Chapter 30 mostly traces the lineage and history of Jacob, his several wives, and his children. Consequently, there are no new people or places introduced in the chapter, and no history to cover. Which brings us to Genesis chapter 31. In this chapter, God commands Jacob to return to Canaan. Fearing Laban, Jacob and his family depart secretly. Of course, Laban chases after him. When Laban finally catches up in the hill country of Gilead, the two men, father-in-law and son-in-law, resolve their differences and make a covenant of peace. Laban then blesses his descendants and he returns to his home. Which brings us to the land known as Gilead. Gilead is a mountainous region to the east of the Jordan River in what is present-day northwestern Jordan. In the Old Testament, it was divided between the tribes of Gad, Manasseh, and Reuben, with most of it the eastern half going to Manasseh. Prior to the division, which is found in Numbers chapter 32, half of the area was possessed by the Amorite king Shion, and the other half separated from it by the river Jabuk by Og, king of Bashan. The dividing line between the Amorites and the Bashanites was the Jabbok River, which I'll cover at the end of this episode. Now, to be clear, the region of Gilead was separated from Bashan by the canyon formed by the river known as the Hyromax, which is modernly called the Sharet el Mandur. It was only after the Israelites defeated the Amorites that the land was divided. Then, during the rebellion of Absalom, King David fled to Mahanaim, which was along the Jabuk River in Gilead. Also, the prophet Elijah was originally from Gilead. Outside of the Old Testament, none other than the Assyrian king Tilgath-Pileser III, who ruled in the 8th century BC, claimed he founded the province of an area known as Gileazu, which is assumed to be the biblical Gilead. Now, this is highly unlikely, considering that the events of Genesis and Numbers are commonly understood to have occurred well before his rule, merely the bravado of a dictator. In Genesis 31, in the New Revised Standard and the New International Versions, it was referred to by the Aramaic name Yigur Sadadutha, two words, and the King James combined the same words into one. Also, sometimes you will see it written out just as Gilead, and other times it's called the Mount or Land of Gilead. Obviously, it's located in the mountains. 
The name of the region may be a derivative of the Arabic word Galad, which is thought to refer to the mountainous land between both banks of the Jabuk River. In the Old Testament, the name Gilead first appears in the story of the last meeting of Jacob and Laban in this chapter. Now, for clarity, there were also a few men in the Old Testament who were named Gilead. First, in both Numbers chapter 26 and 1 Chronicles chapter 2, there was Gilead, who was the ancestor to the people known as the Gileadites, of course. He was the son of Micah, and therefore the forefather of the Ezerites and the Helikites. His son was Sigub, who was the judge Jair's father, making Gilead Jair's grandfather. Then, in the book of Judges, the thirty sons of the biblical judge Jair governed the thirty towns of Gilead, chronologically earlier, but later in the order of the Old Testament. In First Chronicles, we've seen that Jer had ruled 23 of the towns in the region. Gilead was also the father of Japheth, as seen in Judges chapter 11. Japheth's mother was employed in a very ancient occupation. You should really read your Bible. Japheth was also a judge over Israel. From both Genesis chapter 31 and Deuteronomy chapter 3, we can determine that the region was bordered on the north by Bashan, and on the south by Moab and Ammon. And there are numerous other mentions, the villages of Abram, Pisgah, Nebo, and Por, from various points in the Old Testament, are thought to have been in the region. Finally, the name is mentioned in the book of Hosea, and may refer to the region or to the towns of Ramoth-Gilead and Jabesh-Gilead. No one really knows. Which brings us to the next chapter. In Genesis 32, Jacob sees angels and asks God to protect him from Esau. At the end of the chapter, he literally wrestles all night with the messenger of God. The next morning, his name is changed to Israel, and he sees God face to face. We are also given an explanation as to why Jewish tradition forbids the consumption of hip muscle. In this chapter, there is a mention of a place called Mahanaim, in the Hebrew language, this word translates to the phrase, two camps. It is believed that Mahanaim was along the Jabuk River, perhaps close to its confluence with the Jordan River. But overall, the actual location is not really known, and the information in the text of the Old Testament doesn't add any real clarity. But it is believed that Mahanaim was near Jabesh Gilead. Two different sites have been proposed for the precise location and some researchers lean towards Tel Id Daheb El Gaharbai, which is found a short drive northwest of Jordan's capital city, Amman. In the Old Testament, Mahanaim is first mentioned as the place where Jacob, upon his return from Paddan Aram to southern Canaan, had a vision of angels. It was Jacob's belief that the place was, in his words, God's camp, that caused him to name the place Mahanaim. Later in the Old Testament, in Joshua's chapters 13 and 21, as well as 1 Chronicles chapter 6, it became a village in the tribe of Levi. Then, in the Song of Solomon in chapter 6, in the last verse, something called the Dance of Mahanaim is mentioned, at least in the footnotes of the New Revised Standard Version. As you could have probably guessed, no real explanation of this dance is given. 
According to the book of Joshua in chapter 13, it was at one time the southern boundary of Bashan until the conquest of Canaan by the Israelites. Then, after the Israelites conquered the region, it became the boundary between Mashur and Gad. Mashur was part of the tribe of Manasseh. Now for a little sidebar, and to be clear, what follows is not what I believe, but is a theory proposed by a few researchers. So, you may ask then, why am I sharing it? Well, to be concise, to be fully informed on the history surrounding Christianity, you need to be fully informed. You can draw your own conclusions. Anyway, with that caveat out of the way, according to some researchers, the conquest of the Israelites over Canaan never happened. And the Israelites were simply Canaanites who slowly evolved into a different religion, a monotheistic religion. This theory is based on many things, but the reason I bring it up now is that one of its tenets is that the boundary between Mikar and Gad was essentially the same as the boundary between the Amorites and the Bashanites. The theory proposes that Mikar was merely a different name for Bashan. In my mind, though, the theory too simply glosses over one key thing, and that is that the political border follows a geographic border, as political borders have throughout history. The Rio Grande forms much of the border between the U.S. and Mexico, the Great Lakes between the U.S. and Canada, the Termon River, really a creek, between the Republic of Ireland and the U.K., at least four rivers between China and Russia, and the Mississippi-Missouri-Ohio rivers form the border between numerous U.S. states. The list goes on and on. Back to Mahaname. In the Old Testament, around the start of the United Monarchy under King Saul, and as seen in Joshua chapter 21, the city was a citadel that also functioned as a sanctuary for fugitives. Then, in 2 Samuel chapter 8, after King Saul died, quoting the new revised standard version, Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbal, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, the Isherites, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbal, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. It was to Mahanaim that David fled when his son Absalom rebelled. It is believed that David was in the city when he found out that his forces had beaten Absalom and his son died. Slightly outside of the Old Testament, Gaston Mespero, a 19th century AD French Egyptologist, proposed that Mahanaim was one of the cities plundered by the Egyptian pharaoh Shishak, as seen in 1 Kings chapter 14. He went on to claim that internal resistance to the Egyptians may have led to the final destruction of the city. Now, I recognize that the next stop in chapter 32 is Seir, but I'm also aware that covering it today will push past the self-imposed 30-minute limit per episode. So, I'm skipping Seir today, and we'll cover it next week. This will give me enough time to cover the Jabbok River. This river, referenced in Genesis chapter 32, is modernly known as the Zarka River, 
which in Arabic simply means the river of the blue city. The actual Arabic phrase, as best as I can pronounce it, is Nar al-Zarqa. In the Old Testament, the Jabuk is the river that Jacob crossed while en route to Canaan after he left Haran. The river itself follows a course west into the Shukot Valley. It is the second largest tributary of the lower Jordan River, with the largest being the Yarmouk River. When measured by annual discharge, it is the third largest river in the region after the Jordan and Yarmouk. The headwaters are at a natural spring near Amman, Jordan, and its course flows through a deep valley with a steep rocky canyon wall. It eventually makes it to a broader plain before joining the Jordan. Its upper portion is mostly barren, but the lower part adjoins a broad agricultural valley where both crops are grown and livestock such as sheep and goats are herded. It is this livestock that we see in the story of Jacob. The biblical cities of Zetaran and Adam are located at the mouth of the river. And one curious thing about the river, its volume is highly variable. In fact, it more than doubles its volume in the rainy winter months. The first mention of the river in the Old Testament is in this chapter as the place where Jacob and Esau meet. It was also the place where Jacob wrestled the messenger. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, the river was the line of demarcation between the territory of Reuben and Gad from that of Ammon. Then, in Numbers chapter 21, the territory of Shion is mentioned as reaching from Arnon to Jabbok. In Judges chapter 11, the king of Ammon claimed it as his territory. Asubius of Caesarea believed the river to be between Gerasha and Philadelphia. Asubius was a 4th century AD Greek historian of Christianity. Near the river's origin is an archaeological site known as Ain Ghazal. Researchers believe that the site dates to the Neolithic era, and it was occupied for over 2,000 years. The earliest finds have been dated to about 7200 BC and actually show some of the earliest worldwide evidence of domesticated animals. In 1982, a survey of the Valley of Jabuk uncovered a number of early Iron Age sites. Other modern cities on the river include Jerash and Zarqa, which is Jordan's second largest city. Now, the river is recognized for its amber deposits, deposits that contain many different plants and animals. Speaking of the plant life along its course, archaeological finds indicate that poplar, oak, and tamarics formerly grew along the banks of the Jabuk but those trees and shrubs are no longer there. Instead, olive trees, pine, reeds, oleander, and typha can be found there. Why is this important? Well, this is the environment where Jacob traversed with his family and livestock. Now currently the river is seriously polluted and the government of Jordan has prioritized its restoration. Throughout its course, raw, untreated sewage flows directly into the river, and because of this, Jabuk's water is usually brown. So much for its Arabic name. But the pollution isn't limited to sewage, as industrial waste and runoff, used motor oil, and numerous other sources flow into the river. The river's watershed includes a densely populated area, and it flows through an industrialized zone that is the location of over half of Jordan's manufacturing facilities. 
its restoration is currently estimated to cost more than 30 million U.S. dollars. The upper portion of the river is dammed, a facility initially constructed for potable water, but due to the high pollutant content, the water is currently only suitable for agricultural irrigation, and only marginally so. And that's probably a good place to end this episode. Join me next week when I'll cover the history of the next set of people and places found in Genesis chapters 32 through 34. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, I hope you will go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. Remember that doing so helps others to find it. And many thanks to listener Bill Tex for your encouraging review. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. If you're enjoying the podcast, you should subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Thank you.